Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. I just want to take a second before we get to the show today to say that every day we bring you conversations from across the NPR network. We've got a whole squad of hosts and producers with, you know, their own tastes and interests helping us bring you your next read. And NPR's journalism relies on your support to keep it free for everybody. So please consider a donation to help not just us at the Book of the Day podcast, but the NPR network as a whole at donate.npr.org books. You know, books are such an integral part of our lives from that first book our parents read to us to that one book we read when we were 13 that really warped our mind to the book that, OK, you know, maybe we read the spark notes for in high school, but came back to as an adult and realized it was pretty good. Come on, that's not just me, right? Anyway, we do this podcast every day to get you thinking about an interview or a topic or maybe get your own creative juices stewing by hearing from a wide swath of writers. Help us keep doing it for another year at npr.org slash books. Thank you so much. Okay, let's get to today's pod. Today, we've got two art books from people famous for very different reasons. In a bit, we'll hear from comedian and actor Kevin Nealon. You might know him from SNL or Weeds. I don't know this, but he's actually a longtime illustrator, and he's got a new book out. But first, the epitome of New York cool, Patti Smith, is on the pod today. She's got a new book of photography titled A Book of Days, and it's a collection of pictures she's taken throughout her life, and it's intricately and carefully curated, you know, not just a jumble of random images. And this interview she did with NPR's Wanda Summers is such an interesting walk down Smith's own memory lane, and a reminder of how powerfully photos can conjure up certain memories or feelings and help keep some things close to you that you don't want to forget. Hello. With that one simple word and a picture of an open hand palm side up, musician, writer, and photographer Patti Smith invites the reader into her new work, A Book of Days. It's a collection of 366 photos, some digital, some Polaroid, some old and some new. One for each day of a year, accompanied by sparse text. And as Smith writes at the end of the introduction, they are 366 ways of saying hello. And now we are going to say hello to Patty Smith. Patty, welcome to All Things Considered. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Your book is so lovely. It's elegant and really understated. And one of the things that I want to ask you first is, how do you want people to take this book in? Should we devour it from start to finish? Should we flip to dates that mean something to us? What do you think? Well, I think that (laughs) I would never dictate how anyone um, approaches a book. Um, I just hope that uh, it will inspire people. It's it's really a book that you can do all of those things. You can look at any date. If it was me, I'd probably see what was done on my birthday, uh, which is why I actually included February 29th for those born on the leap year. But I, I think it's uh, it's a welcoming book, I think. What was it like for you making the transition from film-based physical photos to a digital medium like Instagram? Are there things that are different for you as a photographer? Well, I mean, I can't really call myself a photographer, even though I've taken many, many pictures. But uh, taking photographs with um, the Polaroid camera, you go out on your day, you have 10 shots. And so you really think about each shot that you're taking And also the old Polaroid film, 
had quite an atmosphere, the black and white film. Yeah. And so it was more akin to art for me. And um, when it was discontinued, it took me a little while to become friendly with my phone as a camera. But when I did, a lot of the principle was the same, the immediacy. I like the immediacy of the Polaroid. And, of course, we uh, see our image immediately on the cell phone. And also because if you don't get it the first time, the shot you're looking for, you you can shoot until you get what you want. The atmosphere of the Polaroid is sacred, and it can't really match that. But it has its own positive qualities. Uh, for instance, getting the detail that I could never get with a Polaroid camera. So I've just reconciled myself to the fact and now embrace it. I'd like to ask you, if I can, about some of the individual photographs that make up the book. And if I can, I'd like to start with one of my favorites. Um, it is on January 5th, and it's this photo of a white teacup and a pair of dark sunglasses. <laughs> and the caption just says, my armor. And I'm going to be really honest, this is deeply relatable because I can almost never be found without my sunglasses. <laughs> tell me about th that photo. What were you trying to tell us there? It's too... Uh personal addictions, my dark glasses, and my coffee. Uh, but I, I think, you know, going out into the world, it's two things that make me feel ready and even cool. The dream was to have a pair of wayfarers like Bob Dylan, which I eventually achieved and wore them all through the 70s. In the simplest terms, it's two things that make me feel cool when I have to go out into the world. Another favorite of mine is on October 15th, 2006, marking the day the legendary New York Music Club CBGB shut down, and yours was one of the final performances there. The photo is of Kala Lilies. Can you just tell us about it? Yes. Um, my band, um, we, we performed on uh, the closing night of CBGB's. I mean, it, it was almost a typical CBGB's night. It was packed. You could smell beer and piss, and, um, and it was uh, just a sort of un a beautiful sort of melancholy but unruly night. And I received the uh, calla lilies from a friend. When I looked at them at the end of the night, I realized that they would be the last flowers to be sent to CBGB's. And, you know, calla lilies, they have such a, a symbol of rebirth, of life, Easter, resurrection. And when I took the picture, I only had like two shots left in my Polaroid camera. The, the background, all the graffiti and the lilies sort of merged. But um, I wanted to remember them, the last flowers of CBGB's. In the introduction to this book, you explain how you chose many of the photos. Um, you include photos of loved ones on their birthdays, photos that related to moments of your life on the days that they happened. But I was also hyper aware of the fact that this book was created during some of the most challenging parts of the pandemic. How did that, if it did, influence some of your choices? Well, it influenced... Uh a lot of the choices because I was really in lockdown. Being 73 with a bronchial condition, I was at the top of the list of people that could not go out. <laughs> so I was pretty isolated. And um, 
it was wonderful to have this project because it gave me, you know, something. I mean, being a traveler, I would have been taking pictures on the road for it, but um, I was limited to the pictures that I had in my phone, boxes of Polaroids, and any picture I could take, mostly in my room. So it's it's you can almost tell the pandemic pictures because they're always by my bookcase. Mm. There's one of my a photograph of my husband, carte de visite of uh, Tolstoy, uh, my talisman, Sam Shepard's pocket knife. They were all done in my room, at my desk or at my bookcase during the pandemic. So I made the choice to do the book then, and in my solitude. It sort of helped me relive a lot of travel and also go back and forth deep into the past. You've mentioned several times that one of your big goals in putting this book out into the world was wanting to inspire people. So I'd like to ask you, where do you find inspiration now? Oh, I'm <laughs> I'm easily inspired. I mean, truthfully, I'll, I'll, I'm inspired by films I watch. Uh, books that I read, books that I reread. I'm inspired by the work of others, by Greta Thunberg's efforts, by my daughter Jessie's efforts, uh, my son's guitar playing. And uh, I can be inspired by a beautiful meal or a perfect loaf of bread. But um, the work that other people do, and the books they write, and the cathedrals they build, or the forests they save, it just makes life worth living. We've been talking with Patty Smith about her book of days. And Patty, we are so grateful that you have spent some time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny how similar today's books are in a weird way, where Patty Smith would use a photo of flowers to help her remember a historic venue and the people she met there. Comedian and actor Kevin Nealon does the same with his caricatures. His book is called I Exaggerate My Brushes with Fame, and he talked to Hira Nasaleste Headley about using his caricatures to remember some of the people he's looked up to and admired. Kevin Nealon is best known as an actor and comedian. He starred on the Showtime show Weeds and tours the country doing stand-up. Nealon was also a cast member on Saturday Night Live for nine years. Here he is in a guest appearance reminding the audience that he's no longer on the show while channeling his SNL character, Mr. Subliminal. I'm not a part of this cast, overrated. I don't even know these people. (laughs) I really don't. To be honest with you, I have no connection whatsoever with this show anymore, lawsuits. In fact... I have not seen Lauren Michaels in like four years, restraining order, and quite frankly. <laughs> but as his Instagram followers know, Kevin Nealon is also a really talented visual artist. He has posted dozens of caricatures of celebrities, and he's now published a coffee table book of his art, alongside stories about the subject that he's drawn. It's called I Exaggerate, and he joins me now to talk about it. Welcome. Hi, Celeste. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, you have been drawing... Your book says since you were eight years old, and I I love this story. Tell us the story about how you got started. I was in Germany, living in Germany. My father worked for a helicopter company, and we would often spend a lot of time on the military bases where they had a commissary. And I remember sitting down at a table once, and someone had pulled a napkin out of that little container and had drawn a picture of like a sad sack, like a military guy, a private with a big nose and 
like collagen lips almost and a big chin and a long neck. And I was so mesmerized by that picture. And I started copying it and tracing it. And to this day, I can draw it perfectly. And from then, I think I just kind of got interested in drawing kind of cartoonish-like figures. And when I got into high school, we had to draw maps, of course, and geography, and you couldn't trace them. So mine was hand-to-eye and learning how to draw coastlines. And and even then, I was kind of caricaturing out, out of... <laughs> Out of just by accident, like I draw the boot of Italy, but it turned out to be more of a, uh, a platform shoe of Italy. <laughs> so this has especially taken off during the time of the pandemic. Why is that? I found it to be very fulfilling for me because I would do stand-up every weekend almost, and I never took that much time off. The most I took off from doing stand-up was maybe two weeks, and that was a long time. And so this was a year and a half of not doing any stand-up. So I found that doing these caricatures was a lot like comedy. It was a non-verbal comedy. And it's just like doing stand-up, you exaggerate things. You twist things a little bit to get your laughs. And, and the same with caricatures. You exaggerate the nose. You exaggerate the ears. And it's not really that person, but you're taking the liberty to make it something funnier. So a caricature has to be funny. It doesn't have to be funny. But I think most of them are. Even, you know, Monet used to do caricatures. I don't know who did them before him, but I think a lot of them were political. But I think, I think most of them are funny. Unless it's you they've drawn and you don't think it's funny. That's the one that's not funny. <laughs> but it may have been intended to be funny. Um, some of the people that you, you draw in here, you know quite well. And some of them you don't really know. Is there a difference in the way you approach a character of someone you, you're not close to, you don't know? Well, the one I knew the best was me at the end of the book. And I had so much trouble drawing that guy. <laughs> I probably spent at least three or four weeks in different hotels as I traveled around doing stand-up. I kept trying it until I kind of got something that I was halfway happy with. But some people that I don't know are not as easy because the ones I do know, I've been looking at their face. Like I did Gary Shandling in the book, comedian Gary Shandling, who's a very good friend of mine. And I've looked at his face for years and I knew exactly every line in his lip. I knew all the broken capillaries in his nose. I knew all of that stuff. So I almost didn't need a reference picture for him. So tell me a little, I mean, I want to go into some of the portraits that really stick out in, in my mind, having gone through the book. One of them was the portrait of Robin Williams. I wonder if you'd tell me about this portrait and how you chose that expression. It, it looks like it's sort of Mork and Mindy era, Robin. But yeah, it was. tell me about this one. Robin was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like him before. He would come from Mork and Mindy. I was at the improv bartender there for a couple of years. And he would come in from taping Mork and Mindy with the suspenders on still. And he'd go through the kitchen, go on stage, and he would kill. The audience was packed at the improv. And because I was a bartender, I couldn't get into the back room to see him. There was absolutely no room. So I would go upstairs to the office, and there was a little peephole up there where I could watch from there. And I watched so many comics from up there, from Annie Kaufman, Jay Leno. I mean, so many comedians. And so... Yeah, he he really inspired me a lot. And I was really fascinated by how you landed on the the expressions themselves. There's a picture of Dana Carvey where he looks mischievous. Like he looks like he has either just about pulled a prank or he is about to. In your head as you're coming up with a caricature, how do you decide what expression they'll be making? Well, a lot of that 
is amplified by the personality or the character in Dana's case. What you're seeing was the mischievous church lady. It was mm. his face doing her, but not the rest of the costume, just his hair. And this was something he did in his act when he was a stand-up. And if you know the people, like we talked about before, it's a little bit easier because you know those little nuances that they have or those little you know, tweaks they have in their face or expressions they do. Whereas when you don't know somebody, you just know the reference picture. Yeah. So um, you have a really lovely tribute in the book to Carrie Fisher. And in the portrait, there's both a shadowy picture of Princess Leia. We see her and her most famous character. And then in the story, you talk about how she was known to everyone as Princess Leia from Star Wars, but she was so much bigger than that and more than that. Can you talk a little bit about this portrait? Oh, I don't even know where to begin with Carrie. She was a friend, and she was so smart, and she was so talented and so creative. What an amazing writer she was. And she would have these parties, and everybody was there. I feel so grateful to have been part of that. I mean, everyone from Paul Allen to Harrison Ford, Norman Mailer, Jane Fonda. I mean, it was like endless. You go in there and you just can't believe Elizabeth Taylor was there one night. And as I got up from the couch, I didn't see her there. And, you know, she was probably in her 70s by now. And I turn and I see her and she's standing up at the same time. I was so casual because at that party, you see everyone and there's no airs about them being famous or anything. So I turned to her and I said, hey, Liz, how are you? She said, oh, my back has been killing me. And I said, you know what I do, Liz? Because my back hurts me a lot. As I put some ice, I put an ice pack back there. Likes cold. She said, oh, honey, I use a frozen bag of peas. That's the best. Because that bag conforms to your back or wherever it is, and that's the best. So from then on out, I used a bag of frozen peas whenever I had a sore back or a sore knee or whatever. And I used that same bag of peas probably for five years, and I called it my Elizabeth. The exact like same Tom- pa- bag of peas? <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, the label wore off of it. And I, had put all, I would put it on my leg, which had Ben Gay on it. And so I would call it my Elizabeth, like Tom Hanks called his, his volleyball, Wilson. And I remember my mother-in-law came over once, and she made dinner for us. And I walked in there, and I saw peas in the bowl. And I said, where did you get these peas? She goes, oh, oh this is no. in the bag in the freezer. I go, no, my Elizabeth, my Elizabeth. <laughs> and, and I kind of knew she did that because the peas were kind of stale and they smelled a little minty too from the pen game. <laughs> but getting back to Carrie, she, sometimes I liken her to the madam at a brothel, although there's no sex. It's just, you know, come in. She was like that kind of bodacious character. There was nothing. She was so crass at times and so body. Nothing was off limits to her. She was just so honest. And boy, did people love her for that. Um, so have you, have you thought of, of not doing stand-up and just doing caricatures? I've thought about that. As I get older, I, I don't want to be on the road and I don't want to be away from home. So I have thought about that. But I don't know if I... See, I'm the type of person, Celeste, that I can't just be doing one thing. I get tired of it. That's why I'm, I'm an actor, I'm a writer, I'm a stand-up. I get bored with just doing one thing. And I think when I did that book of caricatures, I was working hard for like a year and a half every week. And when I was done with it, I had to take a break for a while and pick up the guitar again. I play the guitar and the banjo and I forgot how to play. I had to, I had to start relearning that. And so I'm taking Spanish now twice a week and I'm drawing and I'm playing instruments and trying to spend time with my, my family, my wife and my son. 
Kevin Nealon's book is called I Exaggerate, My Brushes with Fame. And such a pleasure, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Celeste. To see some of Kevin's caricatures, go to hereandnow.org. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookofthedaya at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Isabella Gomez Sarmiento and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show Elements for this week were produced and edited by Emiko Tamagawa, Todd Muntz, Andrew Craig, Melissa Gray, Kalyani Saxena, Ashley Brown, Karen Zamora, Janaki Mehta, Courtney Dorning, and Sarah Handel. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. 